The theme song for the sequel cast is written and performed by Mark with a C. The sequel cast is also a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. You can listen to the sequel cast streaming on the Stitcher app at stitcher.com. Get more episodes of the sequel cast from sequelcast.com. Enjoy the show. This is for you new people. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. You get me. We get you, sir! Welcome to the Roughnecks. Ratchets, Roughnecks! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the bitter end. This is Sequel Cast. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, hello. Now you and now when I say viewers, I actually mean it. That's right. And we're uh, taking a look at a starting a brand new franchise. We're taking a look at Starship Troopers. With the uh, oh, original man. film and going to be covering uh, the sequels uh, this coming month. So, would you like to know more? <laughs> would you like to know more? Citizen. That's right. Uh, this came out in 97, directed by Paul Verhoeven, based off the book Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein. I mispronounced that. Screenplay by Edward Newmeyer, who also collaborated with. Uh, Verhoeven on RoboCop. I love this movie. It's a lot of fun, and I was uh, quite surprised that most of the special effects hold up pretty well. Um, there's a few examples that we can talk about later. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, it's I look at the box office when this film came out. It didn't make a huge. It was really expensive and didn't make like a huge amount of money, um, according to. Uh, Wikipedia, the budget was around 105 million. That's not even counting marketing, and then it, it grossed a little over 120 million worldwide. Well, it's also like it, it it didn't take off as far as merchandising goes, not initially. Although to be fair, the action figures that were released tying into this movie were shitty. There were action figures of the was it of the bugs or just of the humans? Uh, bugs, humans, and one dropship. Huh. Yeah, they they were of they were a very low quality, and th- this is and this is they came out at the time when McFarlane Toys and the Star Wars Expanded Universe Toys were really showing like that you could do high quality figurine quality posable action figures. And you look at the uh, domestic gross for ninety seven, and. Um, the movie did better a bit overseas than in the United States, but Starship Troopers, want to guess where it came on in the 97 box office? Seventh? No. 35th. Ooh. Above it at 34, Spawn. Really? Yeah, not that by much. There, there's like, movie. Yeah, that, that live action movie by New Line Cinema based off the Todd McFarlane uh, comic book. With John and below Leguizamo. It, 
Yeah, John, he was great in that movie. Uh, and then below it at 36, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Hmm. So to, to put this another way, when it came out, movies like Mouse Hunt, in and out and the remake of a uh, flubber and george of the jungle did better than starship troopers i think i have seen all of those movies in the theater <laughs> that you have mentioned so far i must i saw a lot of movies that year yeah i did too i remember that year i dragged my family to see batman and robin in the theater uh while i was at a family reunion and i'm not sure why did the cinematic experience leave them cold uh yeah i also saw hercules that same summer the disney cartoon that's actually a pretty fun one although it's not the franchise we're here to talk about no we're talking about starship troopers and um this was very very hotly anticipated when when the trailer showed up and all the trailer was was like People in a desert, one of them gets killed by a bug, and then we get a little mini music video for Song 2 by Blur, which was all over the marketing for this movie, but not in the movie itself. Right. I mean, I knew very little about this movie when it came out. I saw it in the theater, and at the time, um, I was just coming off of surgery and had both my legs in a, a cast, I was about to say replaced with pegs. Yeah, not no, not replaced with with pegs or metal legs or RoboCop machetes. gun legs. RoboCop gun legs that would have been cool, or a gun kneecap or something. So what happened is like I was pretty immobile watching this movie where that has a lot of action in it, and it made it even more satisfying somehow <laughs> watching it under those circumstances. But uh, yeah, Paul Verhoeven is one of my. Uh, favorite directors even if i haven't seen all his films he's probably best known for robocop and uh total recall the originals on both of those i should i hasten to add yeah i i i really i really like him if only because he does he does like gonzo action sci-fi movies definitely he takes his premises and he runs with them as fast as he can and he has the violence and sex always at ridiculous levels. Uh, in Roger Ebert's review of Starship Troopers, he says something along the lines of, this is the most violent kitty film ever made. <laughs> and, that, and, he, and he just gets into more detail, describes it like, you know, the, the tone is going right for 12-year-old boys, and yet you're seeing, like, limbs getting blown off and everything. Uh, have you ever read the novel, Starship Troopers? Yes, and I'm glad you talked about that. So... Uh, I was I was really discovering literary science fiction at the at the time that this came out, and so I saw I saw the trailer and I was really taken with it, and I thought, oh, this is based this is based on a novel by Heinlein, and I hadn't read anything by Heinlein at the time, but I knew about him because at that point in my life, Stranger in a Strange Land was on all the like high school suggested reading lists, so I tracked on a copy of the novel, uh, read it in a week, absolutely fell in love with it. Over the course of that year, that novel, my copy, was passed through the hands of all of my friends. And we Ah. had all read it by the time the movie came out. That novel actually got battle damage. A friend of mine's mother (laughs) had a parrot. The parrot jumped off of its perch and tried to steal the book, this (laughs) sci-fi paperback, and did a pretty good job of shredding the cover. Yeah, it's not a very long book. I've never read the whole thing. I tried reading... I should probably read it while we... um go through these movies this coming month because I bet I could finish it pretty quickly but uh, for some reason I couldn't get 
through it, but uh, yeah, it's a slim, slim tome, and you look at they definitely cast this movie Starship Troopers with like a lot of unknowns, and I think perhaps that's why it didn't do as well as it could have. I mean, well, I mean e- even the name people are like people that um, fans of you know science fiction might recognize. Well, if if I if I might if I might quote the uh, Mad Magazine Starship Troopers the introduction to their Starship Troopers parody, when the biggest name in your movie is Busey and it's not Gary Busey, you yeah. know your film is in trouble. What was the Mad Magazine title for Starship Troopers? Uh, it was not Starship Poopers. That was okay. done by the Simpsons. Uh, I believe I I will have to I may have to look this up in my back issues. I believe it was like. Star stripped something or other. It would, I, I will look that up. We will have the answer uh, next week's episode. But I mean, this movie is great. I mean, it's got it's got Michael Ironsides. Uh, it does have Kurt, uh, Kurt Busey, who's actually pretty good. Uh, Neil Patrick Jake Harris. Busey. Cla- was it Clancy Brown? It's J- I have to correct you. It's Jake Busey. But yes, Jake Clancy Busey. Clancy Brown uh, mm. of Highlander fame, and for that matter, Michael Ironside of Highlander Two fame. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Neil Patrick Harris, I mean, this was like one of the first roles he had when he was a little bit older. A ferret. A ferret, yes. Um, Denise Richards. Eh. Dina Meyer, who's been in a series we've talked about. She was in some of the Saw movies as one of the cops. And, uh, Casper Van Dien. And, uh, when I watched this film, I thought, gee, I really wish... They could have cast a younger Alec Baldwin in the lead, <laughs> or I don't know, just some traveling young Alec Baldwin. Because I mean, the the main part of Johnny Rico is 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 interesting, and in then he starts as as a pretty boy and and all this stuff, and by the end he's a leader. But I can't really buy it with Casper Van Dien in the film. Well, he's very like, middle of the road because remember when yeah. we are introduced to him, he's supposed to be in high school, but he's like a thirty year old high school student. Well, that's like any movie, but right. I mean, this film they don't do. They don't even pretend to try and cast people that look young. It's all people in there. Well, I think that's all part of the heightened reality of the film. Right. Right. Like this is one of the few films that turns that age disparity to its uh to its advantage. Now, do you think do you think they should have gone uh, for a Latino actor for Johnny Rico? Um, you know, nowadays they probably would. I think at the time that would have been a bit. Uh, unusual for whatever reason, but well, I, f- I often wonder about it because in in the novel, yeah. it's it's pretty much laid out that Johnny Rico is South American, uh, and they they don't go that direction. In the, despite the fact that he's from Buenos Aires, uh, they don't go that direction in the movie. But I almost feel like that is a it's not just a whitewash. I think that is a deliberate choice on Paul Verhoeven's part because he. Everything about this movie, it's like, you know, fascism, Aryan supermen, everything is just like very white, shiny teeth. Well, also think, like, where did the Nazis hide out after World War II? Argentina. Uh huh. You see? Um, no, I mean, some reviews uh, at the time when the film came out called it fascist, not picking up that it's satire. And I think a lot of the movies, like, very. Sar- it's sarcastic yet earnest at the same time. <laughs> Well, it really, it really is like the distillation of all of all action movies. What is the point of all action movies? That the only good in this world can come from a white guy with a gun, and this movie just puts that all in your face. Right. I mean, it. 
when you summed it up like that, it brought to mind a, a movie that I generally liked, but it drove me crazy at the end. Uh, the Last Samurai, starring Tom Cruise. Have you seen that one? I I have not seen that. No. Do you mind if I spoil the ending? Was he a ghost the whole time? Uh, no. But was it, the village actually in the modern day? There's a battle where people get slaughtered, but like the white guy is the only guy to live in the army. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a, you know, it's the white guy saving the day. Uh, but I mean, in Starship Troopers, well, though, is it the, a save the different the day if everyone's dead. <laughs> well, I guess not. But like in Starship, uh, this is a poor analogy I was trying to make. But in Starship Troopers, at least once you get down to the Marines, I mean, they're they're more diverse. It's not a completely white. A very very cast. true. For uh, some of the supporting parts. But the music used in the trailer was Woo Hoo, right? Or that's yeah, the, a song to my blur. Uh, but th- yeah, blur. those are the only lyrics anyone remembers is When I get heavy metal, woo-hoo! pins and I'm needles, woo-hoo! Well, talking about the music, uh, what do you think of the score in this by Basil Polidorus, who it's also pretty... did music for RoboCop and the... Uh, Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian pictures. It's pretty effective. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. gets the job done. It is both a big, bombastic, Wagnerian, John Williams-type space opera score, but then it also has those those Lenny Riefenstahl fascist undertones to tie everything together. Yeah, I mean, it really sells the picture. I don't think there's... I don't think you're going to come out of the movie humming any of the themes, necessarily. Um, but it yeah, it, it does a good job matching the tone of the movie. Um, uh, allegedly, in when they showed this movie in certain places, I think in the commentary they mentioned, like in South Korean screenings, people practically rioted because they felt like the wrong girl, Johnny gets the wrong girl at the end. Wow, really? And I... I you know, Denise Richards is so... As an actress, she's okay. In fact, there's supposed to be a nude scene that they cut from the film. Oh, God, that was another thing. that There there was this thoroughly pointless controversy when this came out about, about the uh, co-ed shower scene, which is the most bland, dull, unironic boner-killing scene. What was the controversy? Just that, oh, look at all the nudity. Yeah, just that men and women showering together and nudity in a film. Oh, and my stars and garters, whatever is to be done. <laughs> it's just like that typical prud- prudishness that comes out. And, of course, all it does all it does is make people go, wait, a movie with boobs? I'm there. Like, all it, all it does is increase the box office. Now, obviously, it didn't increase it enough, but it did. What's the... When you see a Verhoeven film, it's bound to have two things, sex and violence for the most part. And, um, you know, when they were filming the movie, they kept on teasing the actors. Oh, I hear today's the day we're going to do the shower scene just as a way to get the (laughs) actors to constantly lift weights. And then when they actually filmed it on set, uh, director Paul Verhoeven stripped down. Well, that's good. I'm glad completely naked and said, you know, and he said, you know, everyone's feeling kind of nervous about this scene. So what the hell? I'm going to take my clothes off, too. See, it's no big deal. Oh, that is pretty cool. And you're right. I mean, the scene isn't shot. It's shot very matter of fact, and it's a sort of a character building scene as, as everyone tries to give each other shit and um, a little bit of exposition in there. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's like it's just like a Tuesday. It it's it's so brief and it's such like such a normal thing. Although, like, and and it also does establish that in this this world that they've created, you know, they they have actually achieved uh, gender equality, and all it took was the implementation of global fascism. Right, and that was on purpose. They actually mentioned that in some of the behind the scenes material. You, um, gee, so, I mean, what do you think of the, the two romantic interest in the film? You have a classic love triangle going on between it, Johnny Rico, uh, played by Casper Van Dien, Dizzy Flores, played by Dina Meyer, and Carmen, played by Denise Richards. It is a completely superfluous romantic angle on the story because it's not enough that at the end of the movie they're going to have to fight for survival and it's not enough that they have a mission they've got to accomplish you've got to throw in you know a boy meets girl thing but that that being said like it's it is such a ham-fisted unnecessary romantic subplot that it actually works in this giant ham-fisted movie so it's not in the book at all uh no, and in fact, I need to double check. But in fact, I believe Dizzy uh-huh. was a was a man in the book. Oh okay. One of the one of the female characters in the movie was a man in the book. It's a whole Starbuck thing in reverse, or going forward, one of those things. Strike that, reverse it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think Dina Meyer's really fun as as Dizzy, and but uh, I don't think Denise Richards pulls off quite the the snootiness you want her to have. I mean, among other things, this film is about class and to what station these people get assigned to um, in the army, right? Johnny Rico is like mobile infantry, got like scored like 30 something percent on his math exam. But meanwhile, um, his friend Carl, played by Neil Patrick Harris, gets to be in the, what is it, the Games and Theory division? Yeah, the Games and Theory of PsyOps, I think it was. Yeah, PsyOps, right? So mind control kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, Carmen gets to be in the Air Force, gets to... The fleet. The fleet. Yeah, which is actually... which is uh, That was actually something that, uh, you know, comparing the book to the movie, that there was a lot of kind of uh, impotent nerd rage over, because in, in the book, there's a pretty hard-line division that the mobile infantry is pretty much all all men and the fleet is pretty much all women uh and the reason for the division in the book is uh, and this was based on some studies that i think the air force actually did uh when the book was written that uh the, the reason that the fleet was made up primarily of women was simply because women's bodies could handle more g stresses so that's the kind of person you wanted at the, at the helm of a starship uh, someone who wouldn't pass out hmm. under intense sustained G-forces. Uh, and that it was men in the mobile infantry because they were going to do the dying and you need fewer men to repopulate after a war. Um, but that doesn't really come up. That really isn't part of the, the movie, but a lot of people were sort of furious every time they saw a male pilot or saw a female member of the infantry. I seem to recall people were also upset that there wasn't the uh, armored suits. In the yes, film. I mean the the uh, this powered armor is a real. It's the first thing that's introduced in the novel, and uh, it's and it it really is iconic to Starship Troopers. Uh, and as I understand it, they did build some powered armor costumes for this movie, and they just did not look good. And that's why there's no that's why there's no powered armor in the movie. And I think that was the that was the right choice. I would rather have no powered armor than shitty powered armor. 
And uh, when we get to the Starship Troopers 3 Marauder episode, we can debate if that shitty power armor uh, in that film in a few oh. weeks there. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the scope that the story has and that you begin with the news broadcast and you're kind of in the middle of the action. You don't know the characters. You don't really know what's going on. And then it kind of flashes back to um, what basically looks like a futuristic version of uh, Saved by the Bell or something. <laughs> yeah. Except, like he said, everyone looks like they're in their early 30s. Taking, Except Michael uh, Ironsides. He looks like he's 100. <laughs> He's great in this, though, isn't he? Like, he's not a yes. bad guy for once. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's actually kind of a hero in this one, is uh, Ratchet. Mm -hmm. And so is Clancy Brown, for that matter. I mean, those are two characters that are usually typed as playing bad guys in their career. And uh, to see him break out of that is a lot of fun. Yes. Um, do you think the film spends too much time setting up the characters in their school sports team and all this stuff? In the beginning. Yeah, strangely enough, strangely enough, no. Uh, one, because that slow build allows you to pack more action into the end, which is really where you want it. Uh, and it does actually make me give a damn about these characters. They're not they're not just warm bodies waiting to die like in a slasher film or a lazy war film. Uh, by the by the time they go to war, I do care about each and every one of them. And even the the futuristic uh, sort of football game, they pay off later when they're doing their training. With, yeah, the rugby uh, him, with backflips. Yeah, with him doing backflips over everything and spinning around with a gun in each arm. Um, I, I think some of my favorite stuff in the film is probably like all all the training stuff when they're at the when they get recruited in the mobile infantry training camp. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff in the like the it, the mobile infantry training. Well, you get a sense of how dangerous this world is. You know, the fact right. that a, that people die quite a bit in training, and it's just a regular thing. Uh, I love that. I love that whole bit of where the guys talking about. Well, how come we're doing doing knife training? You know, we've got you know automated weapons. You just have to push <laughs> yeah. a button, and 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 he throws the knife and pins the guy's hand to the wall. and goes a word of advice: your enemy cannot push the button. If you have cut off his hand, <laughs> that's, that's just a great like. That's just so great. There's like a gallows humor uh, that runs through that whole set part of the movie. And then he follows it up by screaming "medic." Yeah, there's a lot of that too. A wonderful moment in there. Um, I just like that you see Johnny Rico is he gets like promoted pretty quickly, and they give him a little squad to lead. But then one of his. Uh, one of the members of his squad dies in a training accident mm. when something is jammed in his helmet. And that's a nice sort of switcheroo because you you look and you see, you think, oh, this guy is going to, you know, go right, go right up to general super fast. Everything's going to go well for him. And, you know, you look at that hero's journey structure as dictated by Joseph Campbell. And yet there's the refusal of the call, right? There's a moment where the hero says, I, I I don't think I'm come out for this. And then something happens and he changes his mind. It says, wait a second, I'm going to do it. And in this, it's when he gets, um, you know, lashed in public and decides that, gee, you know, this isn't really something I can do. Someone died because of a mistake I made. I'm not cut out for this. I just want to, you know, mom and dad, I just want to go home and go back to Harvard, uh, start school at Harvard. And of course, when that happens, Earth finally gets attacked by the bugs. Yeah. And uh, right. he... Uh, has his uh his de-enlistment papers torn up so he can get back in the fight. 
Yeah, that doesn't look like your signature to me. And he tears up the forms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great, great I, scenes what, there. Uh, if if now, that we've, now that we've brought in the bugs, what do you think of the bugs? I, I like that they don't have the bugs try and speak English or anything or have them chitter-chatter and then have subtitles in English. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a wide variety of bugs, but you get enough of them that... They're a threat, and they certainly have several scenes sh- showing them uh, ripping people apart. You get the ones in the ground, you get the ones that fly, you get the giant bugs that are shooting this... Um, the plasma this basic, bugs. The plasma bugs that shoot the plasma that travel all the way across space and hit Earth. Um, I could have used some more bugs in the film, but on the other hand, you know, if you have too many of those, it becomes kind of like uh, Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World... Or something where it gets a bit ridiculous. Well, I feel like it is the right amount of bugs because even then, in the book, the bugs barely show up. I, as I read, like, there's only really two chapters that huh. specifically deal with like a lot of bug action where they're really depicted heavily, and like it's like one in the middle and one in the end, which is kind of what we have in this movie. I think what the film does well though is it gives you like several different battles with different contexts for each battle. It's not like yeah. the whole film. They're trying to take out the the bug HQ. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what you see is, you know, they, they land on Klondathu and get their ass kicked and have yep. to do a change of attack and kind of mop up the surrounding planets before going back to Klondathu. So it's nice you have that progression of the story, and then you have the contrast of mobile infantry compared to the Air Force. I wish we could have had some scenes of what um, Neil Patrick Harris does over at the Games and Theory Division, but I guess that's part of the mystery. Yeah, he does He does kind of vanish, but he would also probably would be working on some of the most classified stuff. Um, oh, that's actually something that we haven't touched on, uh, this you know militarized society they live in. Uh, a key factor in both the the novel and the movie is that in this future, you don't get full rights as a citizen until you've completed a full term of service in the military. I think I think it's like a four year term, a minimum four year term in both, uh, if I recall correctly, in both the the book and the movie. Do you feel they adequately explore that notion? Not really. I believe it's in the uh, the shower scene we mentioned earlier. So they're asking, well, why why did you sign up for the for the army and someone says oh i want to uh gain citizenship so i can have a child or y- you get a better chance of it's e- it's easier to get the requisition forms passed <laughs> yeah easier to get get the forms through and um i would have liked to see more of that you get a taste uh, of some of what the of the society is like in the uh, news sequences oh i love 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 those news sequences with those like fake internet links would you like to know more which congratulations that's all the internet is now is these damn things coming up asking me if i want to know more i will not click on your clickbait sir or madam right you can't get a top 10 list you get a uh a page of introduction and then you have to click on a separate page every single time to get numbers one through ten oof but yeah, I mean, those are well done in that you see later it has, um, like, little kids signing up for the military. Like, I want to do my part. And, in oh, fact, there's... later in the film when um, Johnny Rico is sort of commanding a squadron of people, like, a lot of them are quite younger than what we saw earlier in the film. Yeah. Which is showing how they're 
upping their recruitment efforts. Which that's something I love about this. I find about this movie, this is kind of like Doctor Strange Love in the sense that it gets better with each passing year because the world just gets crazier. Like all all those like all those you know would you like to know more news updates? Well, that's half of cable news right there is just that kind of thing. Right. I mean, this was like Fox News before Fox News. Yeah. Um, Jake Busey, I think, is quite good in this film. He has a nice, like, restrained performance. The performance of him is what I wish I would have seen from Matthew Lillard as Maniac in the Wind Commander movie. Yeah, I could see that. And, um, I mean, Jake Busey has been in a lot of different films over the years, but I think this was probably one of his bigger roles. We look yeah, at actually, what I'm not sure what, what else was he doing at the time. Um, he had a part in uh, Twister and The Frighteners. Um, oh, that's right. He was actually really good in The Frighteners. And Enemy of, the S- Enemy of the State. Oh, he was, he was that, on the TV was... series Shasta McNasty on the young UPN network. Yes. Um, afterwards, he... Yeah, it looks like... A bit parts and a lot of stuff. I saw this comedy he was in in 2001 called Tomcats. That was kind of an American Pie knockoff. How was it? Not great. We saw it because my friend's brother worked for the production company, and it was the first movie out of, uh, I think it's Revolution Entertainment or something. Revolution Studios, uh, something like that. So Starship Troopers, um, so I was talking about the special effects. I think they, they hold up pretty well, like the special effects in Jurassic Park do, for that matter. And I think the one effect that really bothers me is sort of a throwaway gag where Carmen and Johnny say goodbye, and then Carmen hops on a train, and the train leaving is such a cheeseball effect. It's something you have to really look for to even notice. Actually, I that effect bothered me when I first saw this in the theater. And what bothers me about it is simply because the train the train doesn't accelerate. It's just once no. it's time to go, it's suddenly at top speed, and there's like no and and, and I I suppose it it's supposed to be like a future signifier. Their tr- their public transit is so high tech that they can compensate for inertia, but it doesn't work. It it just doesn't play out. If you couldn't do a good effect, you could have just cut away and then played the sound of the train taking off. I don't know. Like it. Yeah. Um, but I think. Do you think the bugs look good for the most part in this film? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they did, they did get it. Like, they, they don't look like any other sci fi monster, which is great, especially the warrior bugs. I love the. The warrior bugs are just a wonderful mishmash between rhinoceros beetles and mantises and spiders in a really, really effective way that. Even the design implies a lot about like the way the bugs work because there's no that thing doesn't have room for a digestive system. It can only kill. It can't eat. So obviously, it's probably going to like a milk bug to absorb nutrients or something. I I just love 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 the bugs in this. Even even the brain bug. I uh, thought they did a really good job. Oh, the brain bug is so disgusting. Oh yeah, that's actually that actually struck me when I rewatched this. It's gr- it was grosser than I remember. Just this big yep. pulsating mucusy sack of a thing with its wobbly eyes and and vaginal mouth. Oh, it's great. 
It's dripping. I mean, what you get one scene where they're using some sort of a power drill on it. Oh, it's a speculum. A, a speculum, <laughs> it's, and they have clear. a censored graphic. Yeah, it's clearly meant to be a speculum. Oh. Cool. I mean, what? there's that great segment of like uh, an excerpt from a talk show where this guy with really screwy eyes is saying, you know, how can you... They're talking about aliens, and it's just such a ridiculous out-of-context clip. <laughs> oh man, I I don't know. I I it, it's it's one of those instances where I I have just about only positive things to say about this movie, and I and I love that the, the end sets up a sequel without setting up a sequel because the, they don't win the war; they just accomplish this one mission, part of a much larger battle, and the ending is just another propaganda wheel about how the war is going to have to continue. Right. It does it does have a victorious ending in a way, but then there's the the twist that you see where oh, you think it's going to be Johnny Rico's going to get all the the cheers, but no. In fact, his uh, former teacher Zim is the one that found the bug on the other end. There there's a there's a bit of an action scene and and Rico kind of runs out to escape with um Carmen. But meanwhile, the bug is the the big brain bug is trying to escape, and it's Zim that picks him up, and Zim gets all the awards. What else I love about that is like you know when they when they have the brain bug cornered and on the surface of the planet, Neil Patrick Harris in his commissar's uniform <laughs> goes up, and he is sharp in that. By the way, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he kept that for his own personal collection. Uh, he has earned it. But he uh, he goes up to like read the mind of the brain bug. It's like it's afraid. It's afraid, and everyone is <laughs> cheering. <laughs> they struck fear into the heart of this completely, def- uh, well, now completely defenseless uh, blob of protoplasm. Right, and you feel kind of sorry for the brain bug at that point. Like you don't well, know you what know, they're going to do to it. You know, because they're finally in, like, they're in a perfect position to communicate with it and maybe negotiate with it, but it never occurs to them that they could negotiate with one of the most intelligent members of this alien species and that's actually one thing that i suppose it's not necessary for the movie but that's one of the the things uh in the novel uh is that in the novel it's made clear that uh the 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 earth government's policy when they discover a new alien race is not the way they do first contact is the very first thing they do is they drop some mobile infantry on the planet blow up an important part of the aliens infrastructure pull them out and then they send in diplomats to effectively say, don't fuck with Earth. And that's what their their foreign policy is. Uh, and it's implied that half the reason they're at war with the bugs is because of this shoot first, ask questions later foreign policy. Uh, and in the novel, there's another alien race, which are referred to simply as the skinnies. Uh, no aliens are ever referred to by their actual name, just these epitaphs the humans give them. And in the novel, because the humans did that to the skinnies, the skinnies ally with the bugs. <laughs> so Earth is just making all of its own enemies. Hmm. And part of me kind of wanted some of that in this movie, and yet... I can respect the movie not having it because that could come off as as dead expository weight. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the scope of the film is so big that they just had to limit it to what happens in those characters. Yeah. Did uh, you like the spaceships? Yes. 
Um, not a huge amount of spaceship action, but I like the scene where uh, Carmen is in training and she does some smooth moves to land her ship on the big commander ship that she's commandeering. I do like. I half liked the drop ships. I kind of wish they were less bo- uh, blocky. The ships all do have a blocky design. Yeah. Yeah, although like with the capital ships, they look more like boats. Like they kind of are like half submarine, half battleship. But for the drop ships, I don't know. I guess I wanted, I wanted something sort of more more sleek, something that that looks more designed for insertion and extraction. I know it's a it's a quibble, but I I'm very particular about my spaceships. One um, thing in the movie that I always think is going to be a plot twist, and then it's not. It's when they get to that um, base that's been massacred, and they find like a general hiding in one of the lockers, and he talks about how the bugs go into your brain and and try and take you over. Is he supposed to be possessed by a bug? No, I think he's just been because remember in, in well that doesn't the bugs taking people over doesn't happen until the second movie. In this one, uh, all they're doing is the brain bug is simply like drinking your brain and I matter. guess yeah. deriving nutrients from it and maybe absorbing your knowledge in the process. I just thought they'd do more with that general character who's kind of crazy and he's being sh- shot shouted at by uh, Michael Ironside, but then he just gets picked up and taken away by one of the flying bugs. Yeah, <laughs> that's another nice thing about this movie. Anyone can die. Mm. Right. Being a named character with a backstory does not help you. Yep, uh, characters have to sacrifice themselves. Um, yeah, one of the female leads gets killed. Yep. Which is sad. I like her character, but... Yeah, I was. I don't know. I just wish Casper Van Dien would have tried a bit harder. I'm not sure what it is, but like, there's a part at the end of the film where he's repeating the same lines that were repeated to him by Zim when he was going through training. Where it, or, or you know, and he says like, "Come on, maggots, do you want to? Do you apes want to live forever?" And Casper Van Dien can't pull it off with the conviction. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't shout that as like a person who has like a lifetime of fighting experience. He's only had like a year or two. And yet, I think he's good, like, in the action scenes where he has to ride on top of the big bug and he, he you know, throws a grenade up in there. Um, I mean, that was a pretty impressive special effect for the time. Yeah, and again, the the effects hold up, and, and that's such a, a, a miracle. It's, it, it's, it's always sad that there are movies coming out today that don't have special effects as good or as well integrated as this movie from the mid-90s. Well, and the budget of this film is so far and above what we will see in the sequels. Oh, yeah. But Which is something that I, I, I'm going to try to do research to confirm this. Do you think those sequels were made primarily so that the studio could keep the rights to Starship Troopers? Mm, you know, the the Starship Troopers did, you know, not great in the theater, but it did really well on video consistently. Oh, yeah. And so I think that's why they did a sequel, but then they didn't want to commit all this money to it. So like, hey, let's just do direct-to-video. I mean, Starship Troopers, um, the the second one, Hero of the Federation, must have done good enough for them to do a third one, right? And that they keep on coming out with this stuff. And they also had a TV show. Um, There's a miniature war game that's uh, it's actually still in, in production. 
They did a few video games. I mean, so they've done a lot with this property over the years. Um, comic books. I've read a few of those, actually. Me too. I read part of one that was about how um, Michael Ironside's character lost his arm. Which is something I'm so glad they kept. And his, his arm stump isn't badly done. Like, that would be such an easy special effect to screw up. Definitely. And it's um, nice to see him change from the, being the teacher in the beginning to going back in the army. The mobile infantry. It's just such a nice switch for that character. This movie is a lot of fun. A real easy rewatch for me. Um, so let's rate Starship Troopers. Out of five stars, I would give it five out of five. I think it mixes comedy, action, science fiction. It's a it's a satire, but if you just want to watch it as as regular entertainment, it works on that level too. And it um, yeah, it's I'm, a lot I'm of fun. Get... I wish we would have had more sequels with that had as big of a scope as this first film. Yeah, and, and have some more of the the characters returning. Uh, I know I know some of them do later, but you know just to have a, a better sense of continuity. Um, but I'm yeah I'm gonna have to echo uh, five five out of five. This movie gets better and more accurate every year. Uh, it hits all of my buttons. Uh, I, I think it is a, a wonderful adaptation of the novel uh, as far as it, in content, if not in tone. Um, yeah, I just I this is one of those movies that I I unironically love. Yeah. Definitely. Um well, let's do pitch a sequel. If I was making a film picking up where this left off, I think I would call it Hmm. It would be something, maybe Starship Troopers, like, first contact, I guess. And it would be about what was the first contact the humans had with the, the bugs and kind of go more into that. And you'd have as a main character a uh, a younger version of uh, Michael Ironside's character. Well, I think what I would do, uh, you know, I would do, uh, you know, Starship Troopers, the second campaign, uh, and mm. this one, I want to bring all the action to Earth. So, the brain bug is being held in a classified containment facility on Earth, where Neil Patrick Harris and his cyborg boys are experimenting on it, poking it, prodding it, interrogating it, doing it all, all their stuff. Well, the brain bug is just broadcasting a massive telepathic rescue me signal into outer space. So, what ends up happening is that a bug hive ship crashes on top of the uh, of the city that's housing this facility and from that point it becomes this uh, fight for survival you have uh, Neil Patrick Harris uh, and his eggs and his eggheads and a token force of, uh, of uh, mobile infantry are trying to stay alive in this compound uh, dealing with invading bugs coming in from the outside but also the brain bug ha- uh, has finally consumed the brain of a human psychic. It can now attune itself to human psychic wavelengths. So the brain bug is also taking over various people in the facility. So there's also a threat from within. Uh, and to keep that kind of like propagandistic uh, angle, there'd be like an embedded journalist with them. So some parts of it would be handheld as if it was being recorded by this mm. journalist. And we would have flash forwards to certain characters 
who were in this incident being interviewed about that incident. And a lot of them would have horrific injuries in these interview segments, and we would see how they get those horrific injuries. Wow, pretty cool. Yeah, and we'd also see a little bit of a difference between the reality and the propaganda. So, you know, we would see mm. we'd see one event happen, we'd see it framed a certain way by the reporter, but then we'd see an outright lie told as gospel in the interview segments. Um, there was a really good episode of Babylon 5 that kind of did some of that. Oh, is that the one where it's like a 60 minutes episode? It's yeah. set in that mm-hmm. universe? Oh, yeah. And they had those fake commercials. Uh, there's that right. Martian action figure and like the commercial for the Psycor that had the subliminal messages flashing on the screen. Yep. And also the newer uh, Battlestar Galactica series had a, a similar kind of episode as well. So, Yeah, I like metafiction. That's a good idea. Definitely. Pretty neat stuff. Well, let's move on to sequel news. Uh, there's one that popped up that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, The official synopsis has been released to the Rocky spinoff film Creed. Oh, I've heard a rumor about that synopsis. Yeah, uh, you might recall we've done the Rocky movies on the sequel cast, and uh, this is a, a spinoff about Apollo Creed's son, who, I'm not going to read the whole synopsis, but basically Apollo Creed died before his son Adonis was born. And As he we goes... saw in Rocky Four. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> no, I don't think, did they show Apollo having kids? I don't think they ever did. Well, I don't, they, they never, I don't believe they ever showed him with kids, but he had a wife. So it, it could have been a kid out of wedlock, right? It could have been a, a bastard child, uh, potentially, or or it could be that like he didn't want his kids to be part of the boxing life, so he kind of kept them separate, right? Um, and this one, uh, Apollo, or no, it's called Creed. Sorry, is going to be about his son seeking out Rocky in Philadelphia and wanting to be trained by Rocky for a for a boxing match. So, I think that concept is okay. Um, I also read on the great Sylvester Stallone fan site, The Stallone Zone, a uh, a reader of the site did a set report where he like knew a guy who was in charge of a place where they were filming some scenes. And it sounds like, uh, remember in Rocky Balboa, he has a restaurant called Adrian's. Yep. And that makes a comeback, apparently, in this uh, Creed movie. Well, that's good continuity. And it, it's talking about that um, Sylvester Stallone seemed to have some... was really concentrating, trying to do his best, but it had been a while since he'd been Rocky in a film, and he really thought that Rocky Balboa was going to be the last one. Uh, but the picture of Stallone as Rocky Balboa, um, he has, like, gray hair, which is actually... He looks like his age for once. I mean, I think he's 70 years old or something. Cool. And, you know... Uh, there's a a rumor going around about uh, Creed that Rocky may very well die uh, during it. Oh, I haven't heard that really. Yeah, again, well, again, it's it's kind of it's kind of a rumor. I think extrapolated from some stuff in the synopsis and some other things floating around Hollywood. And you know, I actually at this point, I think I kind of would like to see Rocky get a good death scene. And you know, if he dies in Creed, it doesn't stop him from coming back in Creed Two as a Jedi ghost, just like his uh mentor before him to say, kick the shit out of him. 
Yeah, I think if you were to have him die in the film, you'd have it be right before the final fight. Um, kind of like Mickey and Rocky three, and to give the the hero Creed's son the extra juice he needs to really go into the final fight all swinging. Well, no, you know what you do. No, Rocky Rocky sits down uh, in the audience to watch the match, uh, and the match starts. <laughs> and attack. Apollo like, or and, and uh, Adonis Creed sees that Rocky is just unfazed by everything, and that just makes him angrier and fighting harder because he really wants Rocky's respect, and he does win the match. But then to the end, it turns out that Rocky died the moment he sat down, <laughs> so <laughs> he'd been dead the whole match. And he only maybe saw the first punch, and that's <laughs> why he was giving that dead-eyed stare. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, Rocky dies before the match. Then at the end, when Adonis wins, he looks out in the audience and sees the ghost of not just uh, Rocky, but his father, whom he never knew. And like Mickey. Return of the Jedi style. Yeah, and Mickey. <laughs> right. Yeah. Then, then all the people Rocky in the audience dead. start singing, yub, yub. <laughs> yub, <laughs> yub, yub nub, nub. <laughs> hey, nub, nub, you know. Nub, nub. Yeah, yeah, Frank. Yeah, Frank Stallone would perform a cover of Nub Yub Nub as credit roll. You know, there's going to be a Take It Back cover. Um, yeah. I wonder if the final title will be called like Rocky Colon Creed, or if they're just going to stick with Creed. You know, because when I hear something's called Creed, I don't immediately make the connection to Rocky. And I know, like, Rocky's not the star of the film. He's in the supporting part. But. Or, or, like, Creed on Rocky Ground. <laughs> Rocky ends. Creed. The Adonis, Adonis Creed story. Son of Apollo. This fall, Rocky's gonna get Creedy. <laughs> Also, Paul McCready from The Thing. You remember him? Well, he's not in this movie. That'd be great if Polly is in this movie somehow. <laughs> yeah, we just put a CGI. No. Every movie needs one CGI alien. Polly and the robot need to make a cameo. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Any bit of a sequel news jumps out to you? Uh, I, yes, I don't know whether this is good or bad, but uh, Evan Doherty, the uh, screenwriter for the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, has signed on to write a uh, a new Tomb Raider picture. Oh, um, yeah, I've heard they've been working on a new Tomb Raider and that it would be without Angelina Jolie. And um, did it mention if it'll be like the new video game where it's kind of uh, set in the wilderness a lot? And sort of an origin story, or... Uh, just that it's uh, the the article I'm reading says that it will it will parallel the action of the uh, uh, parallel parallel the action of the 2013 uh, Tomb Raider game. So running, okay, yeah, jumping, then climbing that, trees, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, shooting deer. Yeah, um, that game is really good, actually. It's less puzzly than the old uh, Tomb Raider games. I mean, it's not like the old Tomb Raider movies had anything to do with the games anyway. No, just not exactly, no. But the first, I have never saw the second one. The first one was kind of fun. The second one has a good first ten minutes. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it doesn't get nearly as interesting after that. But, um, 
Yeah, so... But they both have uh, Chris Berry. I can only hope that he will show up in this reboot. He'll be... he'll be That's that's the rule. If you play a Britishy butler in one movie, no matter how many times they recast the movie, you still get to come back as the butler, like the guy who played Alfred in the four uh, Batman movies. Maybe John Voight will come back as um, Laura Croft's father, <laughs> even though she'll be played by a different actress. Maybe so. Or not. Who knows? Well, Thrasher, what you watching? What I watching? Well, I have... Uh, oh, gosh. I could have sworn that I had uh, seen something new. In it. It's been it's been a whirlwind, uh, whirlwind week. I was actually out of town this past week uh, to go down to Savannah, Georgia. Uh, the, the old... Visit the old... Uh, Place of matriculation. Um, so I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any films. Uh, hmm. Although I have finally gotten. Now that I've gotten back, gotten caught up on a comedy Bang Bang. Oh wait, did we talk about the SNL 40th anniversary last week? No, we didn't. That's right. And we, we ought to talk about to... that because I did. See yeah, that. yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah. Before we get into that, I, I did see a movie that I've been meaning to see for a while with Saturday Night Live cast members in it. I'm talking about Trading Places. Oh, yeah. I watched for the first time. Uh, you've seen that one, right? Yes, yes, I have. And that was uh, really funny. You know, it's not like a laugh a minute. It's definitely more like on the satire side. And I don't think I'd seen a movie in a while where Dan Aykroyd plays a character. And he's not being kind of goofy Dan Aykroyd. And he he's really does the the upper class thing quite well and Eddie Murphy is very funny I believe um Eddie Murphy was still on Saturday Night Live when he made Trading Places yeah same thing with uh 48 Hours that's right and uh it was yeah Trading Places directed by John Landis um pretty highly recommended I think it's uh some good some good plot twist in there and Jamie Lee Curtis is also has a fun supporting part as a prostitute <laughs> So, yeah, let's talk about the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary special. Yeah, it, it was a lot of patting themselves on the back. It was a lot of fan service. But for a 40th anniversary special, I think that's kind of what you need. I, I thought there'd be some more skits. I was surprised by all the clips. And I don't know why that surprised me. Because that's know, what actually, they always do with these things. Actually, I kind of... Uh, agree with you because I felt like the 30th anniversary special they did a they did a better job incorporating the, like comedy and getting the getting the guests involved more like when they had Christopher Walken get up and like try to explain comedy in his creepy Christopher Walken voice <laughs> you know out of the the sketches they did I thought the celebrity jeopardy skit was brilliant which apparently, according to according to Norm Macdonald, uh, mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy was supposed to play Bill Cosby in that, but instead they defaulted uh, to uh, to Keenan Thompson. Or is he Cal Mitchell? Did I just get him confused? No, it's Keenan Thompson. It and, is uh, Keenan Thompson. Okay, good. And Keenan, I mean, actually worked with Bill Cosby, starring as Fat Albert in the, in movie the live the same action name. film. Yeah, movie of the same name. Which is um, actually not a bad movie. It's actually pretty good. I've heard that. I've never seen it, but I'll have to keep my eyes peeled if it pops up on Netflix or something. It's it's probably the only like animated characters come to the real world movies that actually 
like plays with that premise and tries to go somewhere with that idea. It's not just some perfunctory thing to get people interacting with the characters. Like it actually the fact that they're from an animated universe and deal with things the way cartoon characters would deal with things carries throughout the film. I really enjoy how oh, how do you put it? Uh I, I thought the the montage of um music sequences was pretty great seeing Steve Martin do a few lines of King Tut coming out of oh, the sarcophagus. Yeah. Seeing uh, Dan Aykroyd and Belushi, not the Jim Belushi. Oh, doing their Blues Brothers. Routine. Doing the Blues Brothers briefly was was nice. Um, and to see Martin Short and what's her name that's killing me? She, My she was playing Be- Maya Rudolph, right, as Beyonce. Just kind of work in the crowd in between as they nervously go back and forth. Oh, yeah. Well, Martin Short's just a great showman. Uh, it's, it's great to see them teamed up on stage, doing each commanding the audience in different ways. The I'll tell you what I... You know, the funny thing, strangely enough, I feel like this thing that like gave me the most joy was seeing Anna Cleghorn. Mm. Like, she's great. Why isn't she in everything? Uh, the moment that didn't work for me was the Californian sketch, mm. the the fake soap opera they do. Um, I don't think that's a funny sketch to begin with. Maybe if I was local to California, I'd get all the street references. But it like went on for ten solid minutes. Like it felt like an eternity. Uh, having the some of the female newscasters at the desk together, uh, Jane Curtin. Mm. Um. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, I thought it was real nice. Now, Jane is not as ignorant a slut as uh, Dan Aykroyd would have you believe. That's right. And uh, Dan Aykroyd, I think, basically opened the show reprising his Bassomatic sketch. <laughs> and I like how the blender jammed on him. Well, that, and you just have the dead that... fish face stare at you in the face. Yeah, that that's something that... It still happens on on occasion, but I love it when like a prop or a set breaks, and that happened right. much more in the early years. It did. Um, got you know. Speaking of great Saturday Night Live stuff, do you ever listen to the podcast WTF? Uh, on occasion, yes. Hosted by Mark Marin, um, he recently spoke to Harry Shearer, who oh. was on the show for two different seasons. Two very once, brief runs on that show. Yes, and he, he talks about that in great detail. And it I'm was quite that down now. Yeah, it's pretty good. He basically criticizes the Saturday Night Live way of working, mm. saying they should have done it the way uh, Sid Caesar did your show of shows, where it's a weekly ninety minute kind of variety show, and you spend the first day doing nothing but writing the sketches, then you have the rest of the whole week to rehearse. But Saturday Night Live, they're writing constantly and then end up like filming way more sketches than they need and cutting a whole bunch of them and they're always frantically doing stuff at the last minute but I mean suffice to say I mean you see Harry Shearer even though he was on for two separate seasons um, he didn't I don't think he stayed on the show the whole time either season oh no what did you think of John Lovitz being in the immemorium section (laughs) Um, it's it's funny, but I wish they would have had John Lovitz in a sketch, and I don't know how they would have done it. Like it was it was nice to see Adam Sandler get to do Opera Man, 
the Wayne's World sketch was nice. The and, Wayne's World uh, was actually kind of a highlight, and not just for nostalgia purposes. How so? Well, like it. Well, it was. It was actually funny. Uh, I love them playing around. Was it with Kanye? Was it Kanye West in the audience? Yes, Kanye West. Yeah, playing playing around playing around with him. Uh, and it was also just good to see Dana Carvey uh, working. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Dana Carvey seems like he hasn't aged at all. It's kind of freaky. Well, well I figure when they re-re-re-did his heart surgery, they went ahead and just yeah. secretly gave him immortality as a way to, to apologize. That heart surgery put him out of commission for a while. Um, yeah. But, yeah, watching the Wayne's World sketch, it makes me think I'd much rather see a new Wayne's World movie, I think, than a new Austin Powers because recently on Saturday Night Live, um, Mike Myers reprised his role as Dr. Evil for the intro to the show. You know, it would be kind of fun to see Wayne and Garth grown up with kids. Grown up with kids, you also could have it where maybe like w- Wayne's kids are trying to be like or YouTube superstars and Wayne is jealous of his own kids. And well, that's actually the funny that. thing is like is like in this day and age, it's not so far fetched that two people with a five minute right? show yeah. could actually become yeah. major in their basement celebrities. Could become big celebrities. That's true. Yeah. Um, which oh, which by the way, don't support that one reprehensible Kickstarter. I'm I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. And if you don't, don't look it up. Um. Which one? There's so many Kickstarters out there. I'm not going to just the reprehensible one. It's not the Exploding Kittens game that topped like a zillion dollars? Um, The card game? No, that's probably going to be a pretty solid game. I like the Oatmeal, the guy that does the comics, that is the artwork for that game. You're, you're killing me here. What? No, I'm not going to. Okay, that's, off air, I'll ask you what... Okay, off air, I'll ask you what this reprehensible thing you're and talking then, about is. Then they're going to get money. Well, all, all I'm going to say is I made a joke last year, and it has just come true. Okay, leave it at That's that. That's just one of the... When, when, I make, when I make jokes about terrible things, they come true. I have a shitty psychic power. Anything else you want to talk about with the Saturday Night Live 40th anniversary special? No, just that it was pretty, pretty pleasant. Uh, I, I actually, I, I couldn't stop cracking up that that uh, Adam Sandler uh, and Andy Samberg doing that, uh, doing that duet about the song about breaking character. I thought oh, that yeah. was great, particularly when they just started calling out Horatio Sands and Sands Jimmy and Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, yeah, that's pretty good. I really liked. Um, I like how it ended with the Paul Simon song, considering how much he was on the show that first season. Well, you know, that is the one huge missed opportunity because I kept expecting while he was singing the light that that either uh Oh, come on. What's the guy's? Lauren Michaels, either Lauren Michaels was going to come out in a, in the chicken suit or the lights were going to come up and mm. it was going to be the entire current cast in the chicken suit. In chicken suits. Like they they needed if you're going to do that song live on the show, you have to bring in the chicken suit. It would have been such a great callback, tying everything together. Yeah, I mean, for it being a 40th anniversary show, they didn't use the new cast much at all. Um, and that Eddie Murphy, that all he did was have Chris Rock give a, a nice speech about how much he meant for the show, and but not just the show, but the whole black community at large. 
and then Eddie Murphy just comes out, receives the huge applause he gets, and says, mm, that's very nice. Well, I yeah, had such a fun leaves. time on the show. Yeah, well, and then I like how there's the pause, and then Eddie Murphy seems kind of confused, and he's like, oh, they're supposed to cut the commercial right then. Haha. Like, I would have liked to seen something. Like, I don't, it's such a, for them making such a momentous occasion of Eddie Murphy coming back to the show for something. Well, the like, first time since he left. Well, like, it feels like he was contractually obligated to get out on that stage, and whatever they had planned, he didn't want to do. So he just came out on stage and said hi, so he met the bare minimum contractual requirements. Right. I mean, like, at the at the Oscars this year, uh, Eddie Murphy presented uh, one of the awards for, I forget if it was Best Original Screenplay or Best Adapted Screenplay, and it was the same sort of delivery, completely humorless, and uh, and flat and sort of go in, say your lines and get right out. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see Eddie Murphy do something funny or something memorable again. I thought he was good in Dreamgirls, which he was nominated for uh, several years ago. Um, and then didn't win because of Norbit. Yeah, that's that's a scuttlebutt, certainly. Which uh, a meth head once tried to sell me one of those PSP discs with Norbit on it. When you worked at a video game store? No, this I was oh, eating oh, okay. at a restaurant. Oh, <laughs> I was I was eating at like okay. a I I shall call it a bistro, uh, in the uh, Greater Lexington area, a very charming place, and like, yeah, there's this tweaked out person with like a bag, a plastic bag full of those discs. You you want to buy one of these? Come on, five dollars. Here's Norbit. You want to watch Norbit? And there's like a part of me that <laughs> wants to talk about movies. <laughs> And why I don't want to watch Norbit, but oh, I would wow. like to finish. I would like to finish my artisanal burger. Yes, of course, with artisanal prices. I feel like an asshole. <laughs> Thrasher hates meth heads, but not as much as he hates Norbit. Um, well, I don't. I don't. I don't hate them. I think they should get treatment for their addiction. But Norbit. Well, man. speaking of addictions, uh, there's the Paul Goebel Memorial mashup. Uh, the Paul Global Show Memorial Matchup, which people who are watching our live stream will finally see and will be disappointed yeah. to learn that I don't get into full... This is the one time I haven't had a full costume to wear. Well, explain how it works for our listening audience. Right. Well, and, I take... And watching audience viewers. Yeah, hoo uh, In 3D, <laughs> uh, I will... Uh, and you... Uh, I will uh, take two different impressions whip them up into a frothy impression pate, uh, and uh, Matt and our guests will have to figure out what that combined impression is. Okay, why don't you get started? Uh, well, I had to wear a bright red jumpsuit when they shot me into space. I had to watch a real bad movie projected in a screen before my face. I had to build some robots from parts that I found inside a box. Oh, and then I ran for five years on cable. Then I had to leave that show I made. Oh, 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 ho, 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 ho. Filmed a pilot for HBO. Oh, ho, 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 They didn't pick up that new show. Hmm. So, clearly, the, the melody you're trying to do was uh, Big Shot by Billy Joel. And yet, it's correct. what it is combined with that is, is throwing me off. You're talking about 
uh, robots. You're talking about a TV show, a failed HBO pilot. Um, so I, I really have no idea. It's like Billy. You're going to kick yourself and me. <laughs> um, for some reason, I'm thinking of like uh, like a Ben Stiller or Dave Odenkirk or, or, or some sort of link like that. And I, I could be off base, but I don't know how to link it to some uh, some Billy Joel pun. So I, I'll, I'll just say Robo Billy Joel, for lack of anything. If only. Better, Although maybe no maybe I'll do that one day. Uh, no, that was uh, Billy Joel Hodgson. Oh, damn it. Oh, Mystery <laughs> Science Theater reference. There you go. Yeah, bright red jumpsuit shot into outer space, watched a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robots. Wow. Jeez, I should have got that one. I was thinking, wow. What, uh, what I found so strange is that like you, you fixated on the, uh, on the failed pilot for HBO, <laughs> yes. which I think I was one of the three people who watched when it aired. Now, did they do a pilot of Mystery Science Theater for HBO? No, no. This was after he left HBO. He got oh. a, after he left MST3K. He had a development deal with HBO, and they did a pilot for a live sketch show called TV Wheel, which it was really like a fascinating premise. Is that uh, it was a, it was a live sketch show filmed. Uh, from beginning to end with one camera in one take. But the camera was huh. mounted in the center of a rotating stage. So they would mm-hmm. rotate the stage. The camera was looking at whatever sketch you were supposed to watch. But uh, while they were redressing the other sections of the rotating stage. and But because of the way the stage was built, it created these interesting kind of cor- visual corridors through which they could do f- like special effects through forced perspective. And it was really good, and there were there were uh, puppets and robots, mm. uh, and it, it was great. Uh, but sadly, it didn't get picked up. They just kind of aired it as a comedy special a few times. It's too bad. I'm not even sure if you can find that anywhere. I've only found one sketch on YouTube, although thankfully it is the absolute best sketch. It's the sketch about the fun catalog with the uh, carnival barker and the monkey. I'll have to look that up. So where can people catch you, Thrasher? They can catch me on Twitter, at Internet Mayor. They can sample my wit and wisdom there. Uh, they can also support me on uh, on Patreon. Just look for Willie T. I'm supporting independent podcasting, webcasting, uh, and uh, game supplement development. You can follow me on Twitter at SequelCast. Um, talk to us about the show at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And also, we're starting these these broadcasts of the show as we record them. They come out before the uh, MP3 does. Uh, see those at... We, we post the links over on Facebook or on Twitter. If you're in Portland, Oregon, Tuesday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. at the Iconic Lounge, I host a pub quiz for Geeks Who Drink. Free to play, fun to play, Geeks Who Drink, Tuesdays, 8 to 10 at the Iconic Lounge in Portland, Oregon. Um, so next week, we're going to continue our voyage into the Starship Troopers series with... The direct-to-video sequel, Starship Troopers, Hero of the Federation. Here's a bit of trivia to wet your beak a little, as you like to say. Oh, good. So, in Hero of the Federation, it's meant to be like a big deal when the titular Hero of the Federation is there. But in the film, it's nobody from the uh, first movie, right? It's nobody we know. (laughs) Yeah. 
It originally is supposed to be Zim, played by Clancy Brown, but he couldn't do it because of a scheduling conflict. I hope that that scheduling conflict was him playing Lex Luthor on the animated Superman series. It was him filming a show for, I think it's Showtime called, is it Carnival? Oh, Carnival, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anyway, next week we'll be talking about that film, Starship Troopers, Hero of the Federation, and we'll continue with the sequels uh, in the coming weeks. For the sequel cast, I'm Matt. And I'm Thrasher. Saying. Would you like to know more? Someone asked me once if I knew the difference between a civilian and a citizen. I know now. A citizen has the courage to make the safety of the human race their personal responsibility. Dizzy was my friend. She was a soldier. But most important, she was a citizen of the Federation. Woohoo! How would they put that song like in the film? I know it was in the marketing so much. Would well, it be over like, the end credits? That wouldn't. Well, no, just like whenever like they have like the mobile infantry barge like rushing out of a ship. That's the perfect guns blazing. That's the perfect time to play it. Yep. You know, there was a there was a brief period when the uh, when MST3K experimented with other formats for shows. They did like Oscar preview specials, and they did an Oscar preview special the year this came out. And they they show they they riffed on the trailer for Starship Troopers uh, to make the case for why it should win Best Picture despite not being nominated. <laughs> and their whole thing was it's a, it's it's about a, it's about a cadre of brave supermodels who defend the Earth from alien invaders. It's not too far from the truth. Oh, yeah. Everyone's far too photogenic. Which I think is on purpose. Oh, yeah. I mean, every, everybody's supposed to be, like, right off of a propaganda poster. Recruit, recruitment poster. Or both. It doesn't help how bland the movie poster to Starship Troopers is. Well, like, you can't even see who's in it. Like, those are the star's lower jaws. But that's all you can make out. Not just that, but it's... um. Again, it's not like this cast really could have used someone like I don't, Liam Neeson doesn't make a lot of sense, but like some bigger name actor in one of the parts. I think it would have pulled people in. But on the other, on the other hand, because it's like lesser known actors and, and genre actors, you kind of get sucked into it more. It, you know, there's no one that gives a real movie star performance here. Tune in next week where we talk about Starship Troopers, Hero of the Federation. The sequel cast is a Hipster Goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.